0: Yeah? You guys doing okay? Yeah, some of you are. Some of you are not. Hey, um, I just wanted to say a real quick thank you for everybody that made donations to the garage sale. It was fantastic. We did really well. We're going to take a few more kids to Mexico with us. So thank you for all the donations, except for one. There's one donation I do not thank you for. I do not know who donated this, but... uh, This is our uh, Woodbury Church of Christ t-shirts, and I found it in our garage sale stuff. What is wrong with you guys? <laughs> somebody lacks the appreciation. I know what it, I know. Um, so, smells good. I think we washed it. Does somebody want an extra large Woodbury Church of Christ t-shirt? You want it? All right. It's all yours. There we go. Oop, too far. There we go. So, so thank you for everything but that. Come on, man. All right. Uh, whoever donated it, like the elders are going to be calling you later, so I just want you to know that. It's a Amen. church discipline issue for you. Um, so we are in part three of a series called Jesus Light. And it's the idea that we take these amazing concepts that Jesus has passed down to us through the scriptures, through the gospels, and we minimize them. Like he said, these incredible, life-changing things, and we hear them, and we like take them and make them mean very little. They don't change our lives. They don't make us better people because we've somehow taken these amazing things that he said and just made them mean something that doesn't really have to impact our lives. And so what, that's what this series is about. It's like just kind of like giving Jesus his due in terms of what he said. Like he said it, let's just take it seriously. Let's, let's conform our lives to what he said instead of trying to conform what he said to our lives. Amen? I mean, that's what we should be doing. That's what it's all about. So we're in part three, and we're going to just jump right in, because I know you've got some Mother's Day reservations to get to. Matthew chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. There's also a staff nursery uh, for Kingdom Club if you want. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. You may remember a few weeks ago, I had a couple guys come up with the bowl. You remember all that? And it was the ceremonial washing. It's not like an Old Testament law or anything. Uh, But this is kind of a big deal. It says, why they came up from Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem. Uh, So I looked this up. Jesus was a hundred miles away from where they were. They were so steamed at Jesus that they walked a hundred miles to confront him about this ceremonial washing. Have you ever been a hundred mile walk mad? No! I've been maybe like compose a slightly angry email mad... I've maybe had like an uncomfortable phone call mad, but I've never been like, I am going to walk a hundred miles to ask him about this tradition. 35 35 hours of walking. It says here, you can't see, it's too small, but it's got all these warnings. When I typed in, I wanted to walk through uh, Jerusalem and Palestine, and it gave me all these warnings like, I'm not sure you want to go on a stroll in this part of the country. Evidently there's some unrest, I don't know, but it gave me that little bit of a warning. I thought that was kind of funny. Must be some conflict. But they traveled a hundred miles by foot to confront Jesus. That's crazy. You would think that, okay, come on, this has got to be a, like huge. The world hangs in the balance kind of thing. Like, this is so important. You've got to get this right, Jesus. Nope. It's just about how you wash your hands before you eat. It's not even hygiene. It's just this thing that they'd kind of made up based on a few little fragments of scripture that they had pieced together. It's not even a command. Just, just a made-up tradition. Now, it's just like, it's kind of amazing. Now, imagine this. I want you to just think about like this situation. This is probably an envoy from Jerusalem. HQ had said, hey guys, let's get together. we got to take this Jesus down. He's breaking the traditions. you got to go up there and stop him. And so they got these select guys and they worked through their talking points. Like, what are we going to say when we see him? How are we going to phrase the question? What are we going to say when he responds? You know how sometimes when you have a difficult conversation with somebody, you kind of do that a little bit. Like, you work through what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, all that kind of stuff. If they say this, you're going to say this. And I think that's kind of what they were doing. They had plenty of time to think through exactly what they were going to say. Uh, so they get up there, and they go to Jesus, Matthew 15, verse 2, and, uh, and they said, or verse, yeah, verse 1, they said, why in the world do you break the traditions of the elders? Why do you do that? And I'm sure that it was one guy who was their spokesman, and he kind of went out in front of everybody, and like, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, uh, why do you break the traditions of the elders? Or why do your disciples rather break the traditions of the elders? And they probably thought they had him. They probably thought they'd had him backed into a corner. The traditions of the elders need to be upheld, even by Jesus. He thinks he's somebody special, but they need to be upheld. And Jesus had so many, like, mic drop moments in his ministry, but he had this perfect combat, perfect question, turn the tables on them, and he says this, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And all of a sudden, they're on their heels again because they had come up with a bunch of things that they were going to say, but they didn't know how to respond to this. Why do you break the commands of God for your tradition? I'm sure this is an anecdotal story, but uh, I heard, whether or not it's true, that Winston Churchill once had this altercation with this uh, lady named Lady Astor. She did not like him. She didn't like his personality. She didn't like his behavior. She didn't like the fact that he smoked cigars. She just found him repulsive. And they were having some sort of heated exchange, public exchange. And she said all these terrible things to him. And finally, kind of like the culmination of her frustration and her anger, she said, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. I'm like, oh, that's a threat of death. And Winston Churchill, because... He's like this and because this sounds like something he might say he responded immediately back to her he says well if you were my wife i would drink it <laughs> and i love that right like bam just like that like the perfect comeback the perfect situation and jesus has this immediate and devastating response why do you break the command of god for the sake of your tradition tradition there is a word that we both love and despise. Amen. We love certain traditions. Opening gr- gifts uh, Christmas Eve. Or, or a certain meal that we have with the family. Or may every Saturday is Waffle Saturday. Or whatever it is around our house. We love certain traditions. But there's also kind of this, this, this love-hate relationship with traditions a little bit too. Um, this, this like sometimes it feels like there, there's, there's things that we're stuck with that we don't know what to do or how to change or how to how to go about doing anything different i cannot think of the word tradition without thinking of what movie Right? You heard me say it, and you're in your mind, tradition. You know, you're like, you're just totally doing it. I cannot think about it uh, without thinking about that movie, because that movie is all about tradition. It's Tevya, and he's got his daughters, and they want to get married, and he's trying to uphold traditions, there's this new thing going on. And it's just, the whole movie is about tradition, and about trying to, to, to hold on to some things, and change some things, and kind of, the whole movie's about that. And I remember, I don't know if it was a tradition or not, but I remember our family watching that, like, every year around uh, Thanksgiving. We would watch Viddler on the Roof. I love this movie. So I can't let you go through a sermon about tradition without at least hearing Tevye explain what he means when he talks about tradition. So we're going to watch that. Mike, if you'd get the lights for us. Make sure the volume's up. How do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! Tradition! of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work. How to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our tradition tradition gets started i'll tell you i don't know i i love that and then he finishes by saying it doesn't matter i don't need to know it's a tradition and i love that i love uh i love the fact that traditions do help us keep our balance they do help us find stability and and they help us find like this sense of uh, our core values kind of and how they work themselves out in the world And, and i love that but we all we hear tradition and sometimes we hear old is bad that's sometimes what we hear when we hear the word tradition. Other people hear uh, new is bad. And neither is really right when it comes to the idea of what traditions are. We all love certain things done in certain ways, don't we? Right? We all love to, and we, and we maybe don't even know that we love certain things done in certain ways until somebody comes along and does them differently. I've got a slide that I want to show you about two different ways you can do uh, the same thing. Right? Some of you are like, toothpaste, roll it up from the bottom. If you're a little bit more like me, my personality is a little bit more free-flowing. I'm just getting the toothpaste out of the tube. Doesn't matter. It's a mess. Squeeze it from the middle. And you think of people like me like, you are a monster. <laughs> Why? Why would you do such a thing? The fact that people like you exist in the world is what's wrong with this place. Yeah. <laughs> 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 for the record and for the recording, that was my father-in-law. So I just want you to... Want you to know? Um, then I have another one here I want to show you too. I don't know if you ha- if you care about this. I never even thought about it. Honestly, I don't do either of these. I just put the foot roll on top of the thing and just like tradition. Um, how about how about this? This is your chair in church. This is your spot. This is your spot in church. And you must sit there. And when somebody comes along and takes your spot, you feel like you cannot concentrate on worshiping the Lord because your head is at a slightly different angle to the speaker than it normally is. How can I listen to Patrick if I'm facing 20 degrees this way instead of 40 degrees this way? Tradition. We just have to sit there. We just have to be there. Now, traditions are good, right? There's good things. They're a habit or a practice that we put in place to kind of help us do certain things and and. and figure out how to live out in terms of uh, our faith in terms of christianity live out our christianity um before god and i wish there were two words for tradition like one that um, that implied like this positive legacy heritage commitment and i wish there was another word that maybe we could use when we're talking about things that seem we're stuck and we need to move forward we need to make changes but there are great traditions right great traditions eating together as a family is a good tradition right would you agree with that it's a good tradition bible doesn't say we have to do that Bible doesn't address it, but isn't it? It's a good tradition, right? It's a good thing to try to get everybody together, at least occasionally. I know we're busy, but it's a good thing. Reading our Bibles all the time. Bible just doesn't talk about that. We want to know God, but it doesn't say that, but it's a good thing to read your Bible pretty regularly, right? Would you agree with that? It's a good thing. It's a good tradition. It's a good habit. It's a good practice to get, uh, to get, to get in touch with God. That ceremonial washing of the hands before you eat, like, it helped them remember that God was holy and they needed to be holy before God who had provided this for them. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with ceremonial washing of the hands before you eat. That's not a bad thing. Those are habits and practices that have been developed as a way of trying to live out God's commands. That's a good thing. Here's the problem, is that the tradition can become a substitute for the command. The tradition can become a substitute for the command. Reading your Bible is a way of getting to know God, right? Reading your Bible doesn't mean that you know God. And so you can't feel like, oh, now I know God because I've read the Bible cover to cover. But people say things like that. Well, I know the scriptures. I've read them. Therefore, I know. No, no you don't. That's not how we know God. That's a means of it. But that's not how we know God. Eating together as a family, that's a great thing. But that doesn't mean you're a good parent just because you ate together as a family, does it? Have you had some pretty tense family meals before? doesn't mean, it doesn't equate that. It's a good tradition, it's a good habit, but just because you had a meal together doesn't mean family life is perfect, right? It's a tradition that provides a means to an end, but we can't can't mix up the two. Washing your hands helped remind people that God was holy and they needed to be holy, but washing your hands didn't make you holy before God. Washing your hands didn't make you holy before God. When we confuse a means of obeying a command with the command itself, we're asking for trouble for three quick reasons that I want to talk about uh, very, very briefly. First of all, we begin to think that we can bind our traditions on other people, that we can take our traditions and say, you have to live out your obedience to God the same way that I do. We can do that and we can cause lots of problems and lots of division. We begin to think that we're good because we've maintained a tradition that God didn't even command. See, God, you love me because I'm doing this thing that I made up. And God's like, you made that up. How does that prove that you love me? What are you talking about? We can even begin to uphold traditions over commands. In the musical, at the end, uh, he describes why the movie is called Fiddler on the Roof. And Tevye says this, he says, saying that without traditions, our lives can be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. And that feels true. Traditions provide support and stability and, and, and comfort. But sometimes, church, sometimes God shows us his love by his willingness to challenge us out of our comfort, out of our stability, into something deeper that he has planned for us. Oh man, if you're one of those people that doesn't like change, you don't like that. You don't like hearing that. You don't like that idea. But I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that you have the faith... this is a complex question, so just give it a little bit of thought. Do you believe that you have the faith to allow God to unsettle you... from the safety of practices, habits, and traditions... when they threaten to overshadow His commands? Do you believe you have that sort of faith in God... Or do you say, no, I'd rather hold on to this than actually follow you? That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were holding on to a tra- tradition and neglecting a command. Holding on to tradition. Uh, this is, does anybody have a handheld mic? I'm going to switch this out real quick. Thank you. Yours worse? Testing. Test, test, test. There we go. How's that? Does that sound better? All right. Can I take this off, or is that too much of a tradition? Patrick always, I don't want to change things up too much for you. All right. Um, all right. So let's keep, uh, let's keep moving on here. Some of you are possibly thinking, whoo, this is a good thing. I always keep God's commands. I don't ever hold up traditions over God's commands. But all right, let's go back to the passage. I want to show you something else here. Matthew 15, verse 4. For God said, this is, the, this is the command that the Pharisees were neglecting. He kind of takes a left turn here, so follow along. God said, honor your father and mother day, Mother on Mother's Day, all days. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Ugh. Right? Capital, capital offense. I, I, I feel like if this were true, we would all be dead. Maybe we'd take honoring our parents more seriously, too. I don't know. But... He goes on to say in verse 5, But you say that if anyone declares that what he has have, ha, to use for it, to help his father or mother is devoted to, to God, then he doesn't have to help his father or mother. Verse 6, They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And some of you are like, I'm a little confused. But let me give you this. Let me let, Imagine this morning that you sent, you called your, your mom or dad. No, no, no. don't Not called. Texted your mom, right? Even worse, right? Texted your mom. And Not that if you texted your mom this bad, but give her a call. Come on. That you texted your mom and you said, Hey, mom, I know how much you love me and that you've given me so much and that really the the most important thing in your life is taking care of me. So today, in honor of you, in honor of Mother's Day, I'm going to spend the money that I would have spent taking you out to lunch or buying you a gift, and I'm going to get something nice for myself because ultimately I know that that's what you would want anyway. Happy Mother's Day. Right? That is what these Pharisees were doing. That is what these Pharisees were doing. You'd be like, whoa, 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 Patrick, that's some kind of like mental jujitsu stuff. You can't like, what are you talking about here? And moms would be like, I think I'm grateful. I don't know what's going on, right? You know, you would rightly point out like, wait a second, you are trying to make your selfishness look like a virtue. That's what you're trying to do by all that, right? You're trying to make selfishness look like a virtue, The Pharisees had combined these two ideas, and I want to just briefly explain what they had done. And I got this box at the garage sale. It's still for sale if you want it after the service. Isn't it nice? It was kind of weird because it opens at the front. I don't know what you do with that exactly, but it's for bread. Okay. All right. right. I don't need a box for my bread, but I guess if you need a box for your bread, here's a bread box. All right. I would not have known. It's a very pretty box. I thought it looked like something valuable. So imagine the Pharisees, uh, and this is any Hebrew person could do this. They could say, like, uh, th- they could have some money and they could say, like, here's the, the first idea giving generosity is a good thing, right? We all agree with that. Giving is a good thing. Giving's a good thing. We should give. People should give more. In fact, like, the ultimate sign of giving for a Hebrew person would be to give everything they had. To the temple, because that was the, the, the focus of worship for God. And if they said, I'm going to give everything to God, I'm going to give everything to the temple, then great. You are super generous. And that sounds so spiritual, right? I'm going to give all I have to the temple. Wonderful. What a wonderful human being. Your mom raised you right. That's awesome. But what they would do is they couldn't just give everything away. What they would say is, I'm going to give everything to God, but I'm going to wait till I die and then God gets it all. Okay. All right, that still seems fair. I'm going to bequeath an inheritance to the temple. That's wonderful. All my belongings, let's say this represents your belongings, all my belongings I'm going to give to God when I die. Wonderful. You are such a fine specimen of humanity. You love God. That's awesome. What, we're so proud of you. Fantastic. Now, they had this, uh, this other idea as well that they kind of combined with this. Keeping your word is pretty important, right? If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. So if you say you're going to give your money to God when you die, you should give your money to God when you die. You give your money to the temple when you die. So you take all your stuff and you say, God, this is yours when I die. Here you go. So, but somebody came up with a question. Well, what happens if uh, a family member or a friend comes to you and says they need help? Well, you already promised to give it to God, so you got to give it to God. You can't go around giving the stuff you promised to God to somebody else. So if Cousin Eddie gets evicted and he comes to you and he's like, I just need, I need a few bucks to get by, I promise I'll pay you back. You could be like, you could say with all confidence, I'm sorry, Cousin Eddie, I've already dedicated everything I own to God. He's going to get it when I die. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And Cousin Eddie would be like, how do you argue with that? That's the ultimate trump card. You're giving it to God. You want to, so you could say, if Cousin Eddie came along and said, well, please, just a few bucks, you're, you could say, do you want to steal from God? You want to take from God, Cousin Eddie? What's wrong with you? And Cousin Eddie would walk away with nothing. Well, Cousin Eddie's one thing, but what about mom and dad? And the rabbis had gotten together, and they decided, you know what? Even God's more important than even your parents, Right? So even if your parents come to you and need help, you say to them, I'm sorry, I have already devoted everything I have to God. That's what you could say. And you could walk by blind people and lepers and homeless people, and you could say, I have already given to God, so that is a greater cause than giving to this person. So I no longer need to be generous or kind or gracious or sacrificial with my money because it's God's now. The problem is, is or the loophole is you still have to live so you could still pull out of your little bread box and take what you needed for your life and for your pleasure and for your wants because what you were giving is God what you had left when you died and so these people had developed a tradition intended to guide obedience And that sounds good, right? Give to God. Keep your commitments to God. Here, this is the thing to guide our obedience. But the problem was is that this tradition had begun to interfere with obedience. And listen to this, church. This tradition had actually become an excuse for disobedience. They no longer had to honor their father and mother because they had created a tradition around doing that. It's kind of a big deal. That sounds pretty Intense. That sounds pretty crazy. Jesus is saying, you're telling me you're showing devotion to God by dedicating money to the temple. And Jesus is saying in this moment, in this text, he's saying if you really wanted to show your devotion to God, don't leave your money to the temple. Honor your father and mother. That's the command. That's what I've asked you to do. Not this other thing that you made up. I want you to keep my commands, not keep your traditions, and then feel good about it. Let me give you uh, I'm, I'm an example of kind of what I'm talking about. Because, you know, none of us have bread boxes full of stuff that we've said we're given to God, right? As far as I know. Okay, I think we are all on the same page here, right? So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, kind of. Um, a fellow preacher of mine had. Uh, is a fairly small congregation. You know, everything's the same every Sunday, right? Sometimes that happens for us. Sometimes we complain about, like, we always do the same thing. And then sometimes when we change it up, people are like, ah, we're changing it up. What's going on? The prayer used to be at the end of the thing, and now it's that. Uh, what do we do? But every once in a while, you know, somebody comes in and changes things up unintentionally. So, for example, they had a young single mom, and she had three kids. And the single mom sat on the front row of the church And the kids were wild and crazy like kids are, no problem, that's great, fun, whatever. But afterwards, a mom, another mom, came over to the single mom and said, your kids were really disruptive and and said this, unless you can get them under control, then you shouldn't come back. Right? Now you're like, whoa. Now, if we had gone to that mom that said that and said, "Uh, can you explain why you said that? It sounds awful. It sounds so mean. She would have said, well, we're here at church to worship God. We're here to focus on Him and offer our praises to Him and, and, and listen to the sermon and better our lives. And these children are creating a distraction to worshiping God, right? Well, I I mean, I get your logic, kind of. And I think what we, God would have said back to a person that said that, He said, listen, I would rather you express worship to me by loving that mom and her children, Right? Instead of making them feel like they're in the way of your worship to God. Oof. It's pretty intense. Sometimes in the name of obedience, we can neglect that which God cares about most. I want to show you just four verses in the New Testament where God tells you what he cares about most. And this is a big deal, folks. Like if you're kind of tuned out or you're distracted or whatever, just come back in just for one second here. Listen to this. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says this, For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled. Well, not really fulfilled the law, Paul. You can't say that loving others is the fulfillment of the law. And Paul says two verses later, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He doesn't want us to miss that, right? Loving people is the fulfillment of the old law loving people is the fulfillment of the law and you might think well okay okay but that can't be the entire law just loving people well paul would say in galatians 5:14 the entire law is fulfilled in a single decree love your neighbor as yourself the entire law and you would say, well, Paul, that can't be the only thing that counts, right? Loving other people, that can't be the only thing that counts. And Paul would remind you in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And we think, well, what about theology? What about doctrine? What about all the other stuff? Listen, church, loving people is good theology, Loving people is good doctrine. If we miss out on that, we're missing out. We're missing out on everything because we've lost the component that drives it all. We can't separate these things. Paul would come along and say, guess what? Love is the only thing that counts. And some of you hear that and you're like, well, that sounds wishy-washy. Well, Jesus wrote all about this in 1 John. Read that. Paul wrote all about this. Read that. If you, think, if you think those guys have loose theology, well, then you're going to have to take that up with them. But this is what they said, that this is the ultimate thing. This is the thing that matters. This is the only thing that counts. So, church, hear me. When we try to be obedient, but in the process become unloving, we are not being obedient. That needs a better amen than that. Let me say it again. Let's set this up right. Church, when we try to be obedient, but in the process we become unloving, we are no longer being obedient that's good stuff. Like, and church, I don't want you to think like, I need you to say that for my sake. I need this. I think about this stuff constantly when I'm interacting with people that in terms of patience and kindness and generosity and grace, all those things are driven from love. And I need that every, that reminder every single day that this is the thing, this is the person that God cares about most. I want you to remember that context. God would rather, and Jesus is telling the Pharisees, I'd rather you honor your father and mother than say you've devoted your inheritance to the temple. Remember that context, okay? Jesus is getting onto the Pharisees for elevating man-made practice over God-made people as we read the next verse, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Context in mind, right? Love, honor. He says this, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How are their hearts far from me? They're not loving people. They're elevating tradition over the command. Their hearts are far from me. And look at what he says. They worship me in vain. Why are they worshiping me in vain? Because they are not honoring their father and mother. They are not loving people. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Whew. That is not a group I want to be identified with folks I don't, I don't want Jesus to look at me and say you've missed the boat you've elevated a habit or a practice over the thing I really wanted you to be doing in this world I don't want that let me, let me wrap this up with two questions real quick number one what do we do to honor God that may be an excuse or we may be using as an excuse from loving people What do we do that we're saying, well, I'm honoring God with this, that is actually uh, just a cover for an excuse to do what we want to do, to be selfish the way we want to be selfish? It's question number one. Question number two. Do we have the faith to allow God to unsettle us from the safety of our practices, our habits, and our traditions when they threaten to overshadow his commands? Do we have the faith in God to pursue his command over what makes us feel comfortable? That's a tough question for us to answer. Um, And all of us. Me too. Like, you may feel like, well, Patrick, you just all, new things, right? I always make the joke about Jordan liking old songs and me liking new songs, all that, right? Ah, it's easy for you. It's not what this is about. I think that's the timer telling me to wrap this up. (laughs) What's God saying? Finish. I agree. I agree. I agree, Lord. I should wrap this up. So here's just what I want to leave you with. I just want you to be just deeply introspective today, this week. Am I really loving people? Because that's the thing God has told me to do above all else. Or have I taken something else and just held on to that and put it in place of what God's asked me to do? We're going to say a word of prayer, and uh, and then we'll be dismissed. Make sure you honor your fathers and mothers today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful uh, for a chance to come together, God, and we're grateful for your word that challenges us. Lord, it challenges